My name is Jay. I'm the losing pastor. Um, my name is Jay. I'm, I'm uh, oversee groups and care. Um, we'll try not to make this dull for you, um, but I would love the opportunity to, to get you guys in a group, in a life group, a men's group, a, a women's home group, whichever. Um, please talk to me, contact me, and I'd love to plug you in for that. So we are in this amazing series, uh, seven questions that will take us up to, to Easter Sunday, and I've really enjoyed this, and I hope you have too, it's, and, and also challenged by this fifth question that we ask or answer today of a woman who's found in the very worst of circumstances. She's caught in the act of adultery. And as Jesus responds to the woman, his final question to her is this, has no one condemned you? And we, just today, we get to see the, the beauty of, of Jesus' response. Um, but even before we get to her, to, the, to this woman, what, what is your own take of condemnation? When I think of that, I, 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 words like punishment, um, some form of sentence comes to mind. It could be something that, that plays in your head so often. And it be, even though this is false and this, um, it's this tape that continually plays in your mind, you're, you're, you're nothing. You're not worth it. Why do you even try? I think these are things that speak into condemnation. Other terms we can use are guilt and shame. And these things are real for us every day. It affects how we live. And, and, and so what, how do you arrive there? Where, where, where does this take you? It could be a thought, an act. It could be something that's happened to you, something, a sin that, that you have fallen into and committed. It can be something that has happened against you. And as I, I realize that I hurry through that, um, it's something that can be very deep and embedded in you, and um, so as I speed through that, I, I realize the, the, that it could be hurtful, that it could be insensitive. And these are deep hurts and wounds that, that you carry, that, that we carry. And so, with all that, too, there's just the possibility that this could have happened or happens in the church. In this woman's life, and, and, and maybe her, and as well as our greatest fear, it wasn't that she necessarily committed this act of adultery. I, I'm guessing she would have punished her, herself for it, but what was her greatest fear? And I think if you've looked at this story, you may know, I believe it's obvious it wasn't that this had just happened, this act of adultery. It was what? That she got caught. So I'm going back a few years to the fifth grade. I was this tall, and, and me and my buddies were teasing someone in our class. I, I called her a name. It was inappropriate. It was wrong. And she proceeds to tell the teacher, which makes total sense, we are caught. I was caught. What probably didn't help the matters was that her mother was the teacher. 
Um, so there was that, a trip to the principal, who was like this weightlifter, and when you're, that's pretty intimidating and imposing, and then a, a written apology that, that follows. We've all been caught doing something wrong, and we've all responded in, in various ways, in the places of acceptance and denial um, between ownership and blaming others. But what was your response if you, if you ever got caught? With, with the amount of folks that are in this room and, and for the 11 o'clock service and all of you who are watching online, and I'm sorry I didn't greet you all online. Um, we're glad you're with us. Um, I'm guessing that there's a number of folks who've dealt with this. Getting caught and feeling that weight of condemnation. Again, some form of self-harm, of, of guilt and shame that you've received from others or that you've done yourself. I feel I've lived here. I, don't, I wouldn't say that this is my permanent res, re, resident or, or not, but I feel like I have I've been in this place, and I believe you have too, and I've lived with my own form of punishment, of condemnation, of where I'm thinking I am the worst. I've, I cannot get out of this. I've failed you, God. I've failed my family. And, and maybe I'm not caught and exposed, but Lord, you know. You know what's up. And you know the darkness of my heart and, and the weight of my sin. And I love, you know, the, last month in February, Seth and Matt um, put the, together the series of messages of, of, of freedom, of finding freedom in Jesus, of, of reminding us of, of knowing the truth of our lives, knowing how much our Father loves us, knowing forgiveness, knowing that in Christ we are accepted, we are secure, we are significant. And at this is another passage that we look at in John's gospel that points us toward freedom, freedom from condemnation, from guilt and shame. I'm all for that. So let me, um, let me set this up in a way. Before we jump into the passage itself, this is my plea um, for you guys. Let or allow Jesus' response to condemnation be the final word for you. Allow Jesus' response to condemnation be the final word for, for us, for our church, and let this response be the final word, Jesus' response be, be that word for River Ridge Church because it's beautiful, because it's awesome. Not our own reaction or the conclusion that we come to, not what someone else says or what we might say. In the face of guilt and shame and condemnation, let the words and actions of Jesus be the final word, the final response. It's not something that he just says. It's something that he gives. He's able to bring healing wholeness, peace, restoration, forgiveness, 
And I believe with that thought in mind, it, it will have incredible implications for life, for our lives. And, and not only that, it just reveals how loving, how great God's love is for you and for me. So with all that in mind, let's, let's, let's pray. Jesus, thank you um, for what we sing. Thank you for what we are able to worship. Thank you that you are the one who pays our debt. Thank you you are the one that came to love us. Thank you that you sent your son to die for us. Thank you for what we get to enjoy um, today through your word, through song, and Lord, through being together. So encourage us, God, through your word, and, and in the end, would you be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, folks in your Bible, some of you, um, so what the passage that we're looking at today is John 8, 1 to 11. And if you have, you know, your, your printed Bible, it might say something like this. It might have brackets in it. That has nothing to do with March Madness. It, it, it might have these, these brackets. It might have this parenthetical statement that says something like the earliest and most reliable manuscripts and other ancient witnesses do not have John 7, 53 to um, 8, 11. But I love what um, this guy, his name's R.C. Sproul. Um, he's a pastor, a, He's passed away, but a pastor and theologian. This is what he says. The overwhelming consensus of textual critics is that it was not part of the original gospel of John. So earlier manuscripts do not really have this passage um, in, in these ancient texts. At the same time, Sproul shares, the overwhelming consensus is that this account is authentic, it's apostolic, so the, the apostles, Peter, James, and John would um, agree with this, and it should be contained in any edition of the New Testament. I believe it is nothing less than the very Word of God. So what he's saying is that we do believe that this happened, but it's possible that the place that you're reading it in, in the Gospel of John, it might not have been there. So just a little word on that, but let's jump in to um, this text, starting at verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. We always find Jesus teaching. We always find him in, in some situation, in some place, you know, the, in, when it comes to Beatitudes or, or teaching in the synagogue, um, this is very expected. And, but what is also expected while he's teaching is that possibility of things being very unexpected, right? And here, something unexpected, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm guessing our, our Savior knows this, he knows what's up, but in verse 3 it says, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. I'm not a fan of con confrontation. I'm not a fan of, of conflict. I'm the kind of person, like, if something is happening on some show, something very awkward, um, it's about to happen, I either turn it off or leave the room. 
And so you might understand how that might manifest itself in real life. It's just something that I, that I want to shy away from with, with something. Um, and so what's happening with this woman is devastating. It's, it's awkward. It's, it's absolutely humiliating. And it's certainly demeaning. This woman caught in adultery. And in verse 4, Even before I read verse 4, just to, like, this possibility of being caught in the act of adultery, did they give her something to wear? Was there a, maybe a, a bed sheet that she could use? Was she in the wrong? Yes, I believe that. Could she have been apprehended in this way? No, I don't believe that. And in verse 4 it says, They said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. And so how this is set up by these theologians, the scribes, and these political guys, the Pharisees, they create basically this wrongful kangaroo court and put this woman on trial. Not to mention that it takes two people to be caught in the act of adultery. Um, and there's that breach of justice of that this, the man is missing in this story. Commentaries mention the possibility of this man, maybe he was an um, upward guy, a, a, a prominent guy, and maybe he was setting her up in what we see to be this trap set for Jesus. But that's speculation. But it goes on to share in verse 5. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? Verse 6, they said, they said this to test them. This they said to test them that they might have some change to bring against him. And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. What do you say against this woman, teacher? The law shares that we're to stone her. And so how this is set up, it's, it's it, again, this is not a literal, this is just a, another speculation of this woman possibly being betrothed, engaged to be married, and she's with another person, another guy, and she's cheating on who, on who is to be her husband. It could be that because that makes some uh, connection to to Deuteronomy uh, chapter 22. We're not looking that up. But that, that's not the point. It's less the emphasis of the law. It's, it's what is said, is mentioned in verse 6. It's, it's, it's a trap. And the motivation for them is revealed that they may have some charge to bring about against Jesus. They want to set Jesus up to fail. That's the motivation of trapping him. But there is this collateral damage of this woman who's caught in adultery and experienced this humiliation and shame. So in this trap, would, would Jesus undermine Jewish law or would he undermine Roman authority? That's sort of the, the 
the tension, <laughs> it's a bigger word than that, but the, there, this, where he's in between this, they, they, the law says that she should be killed and stoned, and this would mean that Jesus would have to go against Roman authority because the Romans have the authority um, to allow that. They're the ones who enforce capital punishment. If he let her free and, and denies the stoning, they will accuse him to be a false teacher, denying the law of Moses. I don't know what Jesus wrote on the ground. And it's, it's an incredible detail to share um, and, and kind of affirms infirms me and affirms us that this is a detail like why would someone write this as a detail because we don't know really what what is said that jesus wrote on the ground there's speculation of uh, well was this hebrew was was it directed to these these pharisees and scribes was he writing the sins that they have committed in their own in their own lives against God. That's something that has been shared. I don't know. Did they write a, did, could Jesus write a football play in the dirt saying, you know, you go deep, you take a post, you do a curl, you know, th that's just something that I kind of wish he would do and hope, hopefully we can do that in heaven. Um, but whatever it is, can't we see it as just this moment, this breather, this moment of grace where eyes are taken off this humiliated woman and all the focus is directed to our Savior Jesus. Verse 7, and as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. You don't have, as he talks, as he directs this to the, to the Pharisees and the scribes, you don't have any bearing to trap me. You don't have any weight to stone and kill this woman. You aren't worthy to summon the law of Moses because in your own sin, you are also guilty of breaking his law as well. He's saying this to the people then and he's saying it to us. For all of us as, as, as rule followers and legalists of 2022. And in this instance, I love how Jesus is doing it. He's bringing affliction to the comfortable. Verse 9, but when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. You have this old, older J.B. Phillips translation. I, I love what it says. It shares it like this. They were convicted by their own consciences and went out one by one. And a professor who, who shares it this way, those who had come to shame Jesus now leave in shame. In this instance, they knew the wrong of what they had done 
and they realize their own sins they've committed throughout their lives. I, I mean, I said that, but they, they left baffled. They left um, with the older, oldest ones first. But going back to my plea at the beginning, um, let's allow Jesus' words to this woman be the same words that he's speaking to you, that he's speaking over you. And in this instance, Jesus is bringing comfort to the one who's afflicted. Continuing in verse 9, it reads, And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Verse 10, Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And if we could take, it'd take a long time, but if we place my name there or your name there, Matt, Stacy, JD, Ben, Krista, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Verse 11, she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. I hope you picked up on it, but I, I, I love how Jesus shares this reminder and gospel the truth of the gospel when he says, I don't condemn you. From now on, sin no more. Because that's the message of the gospel. If you, flip it over, if you flip it around, that is what law and religion tells us. And it, it's phrased totally different, differently, but it changes the, me, the whole meaning of what Jesus is trying to say. It could be something like this. From now on, sin no more then I won't condemn you. Do you get that? Isn't that cool? Another way of putting it in gospel terms, you know, God loves me, therefore I obey. Therefore I want to obey. Where law and religion say it again differently, I obey. If I do things right, man, maybe, therefore God will love me. And I love that Jesus' response is different from the world and our response as we, as we grow in Christ, as we grow in our love for God, as, as our, our motivation is knowing that God's love is full and for us. Yes, God, I want to respond to that, and I want and will obey. We desire to turn away from sin in light of God's love from all of it, the sins of the flesh, the sins against the Spirit. And so, gosh, we haven't gotten to your outlines yet. We need to. Gosh, let's get there. Um, as we finish up, let's hold on to this, this, this grounding truth, this reality of, of as, as believers in Christ, of this Romans 8.1 and this wonderful, wonderful verse and wonderful chapter in Romans 8. It reminds us of Jesus' response to the woman caught in adultery. Jesus' response to us 
and Jesus' response to how he wants us to treat one another, to have for each other. So this big thought is very simple, and I know you know it from Romans 8.1. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. This is the ground, the, the reality, the, the truth, that there is no fear, no punishment. There is no condemnation to those who trust and follow Jesus. And I love the, the, verse, the reminders of, of Lamentations where um, we are told his mercies are new every what? Every morning, every day, every moment. And we're reminded of, of when Jesus opens up the scroll and, and shares that he has come in, in Luke 4. He has come to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, f- freedom for those who are oppressed. He's not speaking to that just generally, but he's speaking that to you and myself individually. And so as we, you know, come to the close, and there's these just reminders for us, and I love how the, the service and, and communion, all of that is, has been set up. But there are reminders to how we respond to that ground of truth that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So as we finish, where there is condemnation, we answer this in verse one, in number one, where there's condemnation, meet it with mercy. Now, we're reminded, it's not your mercy, but it's God's mercy over you. Scripture says of, of God's grace, it's sufficient, and God meets us with grace and mercy and the simple definition that helps me, by grace, God gives us blessings that we don't deserve. And in mercy, he doesn't give us what we do deserve. In Christ's mercy, this woman is not condemned. We deserve condemnation, but by his mercy, we are set free. And I love how this is is shared and, and set up um, briefly in Psalm 103, I don't know if we have it up there, but it, it's Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Next we learn where there is condemnation. Walk in repentance. There's again a lot to unpack from that, and, and when you hear that word, I don't want you to just think, oh, that's that religious word, repent. You know, repentance, it doesn't have to be a religious word. It's a movement word. Um, I, it said like this, it's metanoia, where there's this changing of the mind. 
And we could also include in there this change of the heart. And in this instance, what we're saying of, of creating these daily, daily disciplines, these daily attitudes of moving, turning away from our sin and back to God. Turning to move, having this attitude and, and not remorse and regret, but those remorse and regrets are quickly taken away by, the, by God's mercy. Just confessing, having these daily habits of confession and turning our hearts and our minds back to Jesus. It's not only making things right with God, but it's seeking to restore the broken relationship that we once had with Jesus. And truth be told, that is something... Jesus never loses hold of us, but there are things that we do every day that that hurt hurt our relationship with God, and we want to make things right. Matt mentioned this as we prepared for communion, but in number three... Um, where there is condemnation, we go to the cross. And that's what we get to, to do and, and experience on Good Friday, but it's a reminder that this is something that we can do every day. If we consider the weight and the fullest effect of condemnation and judgment, consider that the, the, the sin, our sin, past sin, present and future sin, all of this fell upon Jesus on the cross. He received the penalty of sin, the fullness of God's wrath over sin, condemnation, judgment. They all fell upon Jesus. But for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and this is why the, the cross was necessary. And communion, it, doesn't it remind us of God's love for us? Reminds us of the cost of, of Jesus' body broken and given over for me and for you. And Jesus' blood shed for the forgiveness of sin for me and for you. And death and sin would be defeated and we aren't condemned because Jesus was condemned for us. The last one that we tackle is that we're to remember Jesus in your place. That's a series, there's a series that we're doing um, in, our, in our group on Easter and where the teacher shares it in this way that the, the, the interpretive grid for understanding what, what we're learning um, is under, of understanding Jesus and the cross, it says, is, is this, is what was mentioned, Jesus in your place. He doesn't just die for us, he dies in our place. And the hymn writer shares, bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place, condemned he stood, sealed my pardon, with his blood. Hallelujah. What a savior. Jesus takes our place. He, res- he receives what we deserve. Because of sin, because of, because of our sin, we deserve punishment, judgment, 
condemnation and death, but in our place, Jesus receives all of that upon himself. So in the face of your and mine, in our condemnation, Jesus meets us, forgives us, shows us compassion. He shows us justice, grace, mercy. And the voice he's speaking is true and worthy. And he meets you and me in the toughest and darkest moments of our lives. And Lord Jesus says to you, has no one condemned you? Neither do I condemn you. I went to the cross. I died so that you wouldn't have to. Go, and from from now on, sin no more. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your undying love for us. We thank you for the action that you took in our place to die on a cross and to receive the penalty that we deserved. But Lord, thank you that you have put an end to condemnation because the whole weight of that has been placed on you and you took care of it. And you came back to life to give us life. Lord, remind us daily of how good you are, how great you are. Lord, receive honor in in every step that we take. Um, And Lord, thank you that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.